Welcome to the Movement Podcast. This show is all about movement. We tackle it from different angles, bring on guests, answer questions, go on a few tangents, and give practical advice, giving you guys a better idea of how you can optimize the human body to be the best it can be. Let me give you a preview of what's coming up in this episode. On today's episode of the Movement Podcast, we have a very special guest, John Tareen. John is an expert in strength and conditioning and spent years working in the NFL with the Buffalo Bills and Indianapolis Colts. He has a passion for coaching, mentorship, and youth sports. In this episode, John gives us some great insight into his time in the NFL, tells a bunch of stories, and drops some serious knowledge and inspiration. You're not gonna wanna miss this one. So let's get going with today's Movement Podcast, powered by FMS. Really great to uh, have one of our, really a, a great friend of ours, uh, Gray and I, and um, someone that I've learned a lot from the last, probably shoot, almost 20 years now is uh, John Tareen. And, um, you know, John, right when we start, the first question you ask is, where is Gray? Because, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, Gray and I are usually together in a lot of the stuff we do, but uh, sometimes it's good to have Gray not around. We're actually going to have to speak. <laughs> exactly. We can actually talk. <laughs> So, John, give us a little bit uh, of your history. I mean, I kind of talked about the fact that we've been talking and interacting for almost 20 years now. So give us a little bit of that background. Where did you stumble upon the FMS? But not even that, just just your history and background getting into this uh, industry. So I was really super lucky going back to Springfield College where I went to school, a um, little school in Massachusetts, and uh, I had a nutrition course in my sophomore year. Uh, taught by a baseball coach at the time, Coach Royce, who is a, a man, a human being that one of the many folks I can say, if not for them, uh, my life would be entirely different, including probably never even meeting you guys, uh, among other things. And so I had a nutrition course with Coach Royce, and I was fortunate enough to get a weird answer correct early on in the class. Um, and do you, remember, do you remember the question? Well, the, yeah, I was actually sparing you the the details of the story, but the answer was vitamin B6. Is it B6 or B12? The answer is either B6 or B12. The question was, what B vitamin comes after 11? No, it was, um, <laughs> it was, uh, I don't remember the freaking question because, because, but I happen. No, I know. I'm really, I'm really trying to stretch you here, John. But I ha I don't remember the question. And what happened with coach was he. So is it, oh, wait a minute. Is this safe to say yeah. that you only remember the answers you got right in class? Well, one would be, uh, yeah, I mean, it's pretty easy to remember one. Um, no, here's, here's the craziest thing. So the story is this, the, rea or the, the real deal is this. The first week of class, Coach Royce, who's this beautiful man, but surly, older, tough, farm-raised, lived on a farm in Massachusetts, baseball coach who I think had a dip in during class when he was teaching, you know, this kind of guy. And he said, look, I asked, I ask a question every year. If you get this question right. Um, and again, I can't remember if he said you get an A on the next test or you get an A on, on, uh, in the whole course. And he's just, he's just berating us at this point. All you morons I've never had in 20 years. Anybody get this question, right? 
so he hands out little sticky notes, walks down the, the single file row, rows. There's probably 30 or 40 of us in the class. I'm in the fourth row over about five rows back. I can remember this. So he asked this question and I hear him and I said, oh my God, I know this answer. Now, the only reason I knew the answer is because the night before, literally, I happened to be reading an NSCA journal and this is, geez. What a nerd. The, yeah, yeah, big time. This the early 90s, right? And so that freaking thing happened to be in that journal. That very thing. Like it's the craziest thing you ever heard. So I'm like, oh, my God, I know the answer. So he goes, all right, pass in your, pass in your papers. Nobody's going to get this. Let's, let's move on. So I'm afraid now to even write the answer because I think I'm going to piss him off. Anyway, I go, oh, what the hell? I'm like, odds of me getting A in this class is pretty low. I need all the help I can get. So I write the answer. And he's collecting thing and he's collecting the papers and he's like one by one. He's like looking at him and he's like reads, he throws them down like wrong, no, stupid, you know, all this stuff. So he gets to ours and he stops. I mean, he pauses and I'm like, oh, crap. He looks at it and he goes, who wrote this? Who wrote this one? This B6 or 12, whatever it was. And I like got my head down now. I'm hiding behind the person in front of me. I'm like, I'm not, I don't care. I'm not, I'm going down. Forget it. So. I kind of sneak my hand up and he goes, looks at me, he goes, see me after class. You see me after class. That's all he said. I was like, all right, coach. Class is over. I'm nervous for the next well, 45, 50 minutes. I go see him. He looks at me and he says, uh, where are you from? Starts asking me some questions. Background, where are you from? Why are you here? Why'd you come to this school? I said, well, I really came. I really want to be a strength coach. I said, you know, I'm done with football. I got injured too many times. Wait a minute. You told me you were a star football player at Springfield College. Is that true or not? Uh, false. False. Now that you have so me you under have the Al Bundy uh, recollection of your football career. Four touchdowns. In, yeah, and I was, I was a bitch of a pulling guard in high school. I, I got to tell you. No, in high school, you know, I played both ways, you know, uh, center and uh, stand-up linebacker, you know, the Willie McGinnis, Lawrence Taylor kind of position they used to call me. Uh, <laughs> But in the second half, Lee, because our left tackle was so fat and out of shape, he couldn't go both ways. So they moved my five nine and a half, hundred and ninety one pound ass to left tackle for the second half. So every week, I used to scream at the left tackle. I'd say, "Get your ass in shape! I can't be playing tackle." So he never did. Your interest in becoming a strength coach was for self preservation. It is for self preservation. Yeah, I was that shitty. And that bad of an athlete. And so I started lifting weights and I got really excited about, okay, what can I do? Well, no, I was taking the different angle that you wanted that other guy who was fat and out of shape to get in shape so you wouldn't have to play that position. Yeah. So early on, I learned about, you know, fat shaming and all these things that don't work. <laughs> yeah. So, but so, you know, I started lifting weights, but then, you know, you know, like you quit lifting weights because, you know, they got heavy and, you know, just up and down, up <laughs> and true. down repetitively. I mean, it's, it's really stupid. Like they're freaking heavy. Like that's I've, why I, yeah, I've been lifting the same amount of weight for 20 years. Yeah. I mean, this shit's heavy. There's gotta be something better to do to lift them up and down. So coach says to me, take a walk with me, come back to my office. And I'm like, do I have to? He goes, walk with me back to my office. So we start walking through the campus and he's talking to me and he goes, you want to be a strength coach? I said, yeah, if I didn't come here, I was going to be, you know, uh, renting jet skis in the Bahamas. This is it. This is what I want to do. 
Hmm. That sounds pretty good right now, renting jet skis in the Bahamas. <laughs> he goes, I think I saw you down there once with one of those things in your head. Is that true? One of uh, the, uh, maybe. Your it comes back with the... All right, can you great. finish the story from Springfield? <laughs> look great on the beach. Stop diverting me. So anyways, so uh, takes me back to the office. And he's, we were talking for maybe 15, 20 minutes. And I said, yeah, I want to be a strength coach and all that. And, and my, co- one of, my defense coordinator in high school is the reason that I wound up at Springfield. He had gone there and all that. And uh, he says, sit down on the couch. He picks up the phone. He's still kind of pissed off for some reason. And, he's, and I hear him go, hey, Rusty, it's Coach Royce. How you doing? And I'm like, Rusty. Now I could hear Rusty through the other side of the phone. And Rusty is Rusty Jones, who at the time was the Buffalo Bills strength coach. Um, and even at that time, in the early 90s, the Bills were going to those Super Bowls at that time. And um, unbiased, Rusty's amongst the greatest strength coaches to ever to ever be. And I'm kind of, you know, so I knew who, I was like, what the hell, he got Rusty Jones on the phone. Holy crap. So they're talking, and, you know, you could hear him, like, and you could tell they know each other really well, talking about their families and different things. And so he says to Rusty, he goes, hey, I got a kid here. I think you'd be interested in. And I'm like, what the hell is he talking about? So he says, do you still take, uh, you know, you still take kids out of Springfield to work with you and stuff? And I hear him go, yeah, because he goes, uh, I got him right here. You want to talk to him? Now I'm shaking. What the hell? I'm a freaking sophomore. And I know you've been uh, a guy that's been in uh, a role to inspire and mold young minds in the college academic world. I think you <laughs> ought to pay specific attention to this and how you could change somebody's life rather than berate them. It's all in how you do it. Different so, definitions of insp- inspiration. And however you do it, you do it. So he puts Rusty on the phone. I go, yeah, hello. Yeah, how you doing? Hey, Coach Roy says, you know, you, you want to be an intern or something like that? I go, yeah, I, I really don't know what the hell's going on right now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, he goes, what year are you? And I said, I'm a sophomore. He says, sophomore? He goes, man, I, I don't take guys till they're done with their senior year. He goes, I could be fired three times in the next few years. I don't know what's going on with all that. He goes, do this though, do this for me. He says, if Coach Roy's called me about you, he likes you, I'm good with you. Now, Rusty knew Coach Roy from going to Springfield, coached with him. They knew each other for years um, uh, around baseball and everything else. So he said, just keep in touch with me. And, uh, and I took that literally. So he gives the phone back to Coach Roy's. They hang up. And Coach says, what do you think of that? And I was like, I, I, I don't even know what to say. And he says, well, don't, you know, don't screw it up. Do what he said to do. And I go, geez, I can't thank you enough, you know. I said, I can't believe you would do that. And he goes, I've been around a long time. He said, when I see somebody that's got a purpose like you do and what I'm listening to, he goes, you're going to be all right. And he changed my life. Um, and so he handed me the Buffalo Bills conditioning manual from his desk drawer that was like a 1988 or 86 conditioning manual. And he goes, read and study this, but I want it back. So, and I'm broke at the time. I go down to the Cumberland Farms with a hundred nickels and I photocopy it to this day, unless he doesn't know I did that. I photocopied the whole thing. I brought it back to him in a week. I go, I'm good coach. I got it. And he goes, okay, thanks. And, uh, I memorized that freaking manual. Like, like it was my job. I read that thing every day, every night. I didn't understand it. I just memorized it. You know, that's, there's a difference. Right. And so kept in touch with rusty. And then finally as a senior, I worked out and I went up there and, uh, just to speed this up, went up there and, and, and started to speed. Wait, did you say to speed this up? I was wondering if there was, there was going to be an end to this story. I mean, I was expecting, you know, 
just to speed this up. Thanks. See, this is what I'm talking about with the type of encouragement young <laughs> people need from their professors. It's, you know, don't don't stop the truck. Let it let it ride. Yeah, but God knows where we'll end up if I don't stop the truck. <laughs> I at least got to turn the turn the wheel a little bit every now and then. Keep it in the lanes, man. Just don't don't put the brake on. So all right, so I I had not heard that story. Oh, BS. So, Twenty years, you you've heard that story. 100. Well, I, but listen, I choose to hear what I want to hear when I talk to you. That's so true. that was one of your biggest influences, and and again, just to kind of give everybody the perspective, I was hoping you would, but I've got to step in and do it for you. Um, you know, John, you know, you've had, you were with the Bills under Rusty Jones, um, who I have, who I've had the pleasure to meet. And I, I'm hoping we can get him on to do one of these podcasts one day. Um, tremendous uh, person. I'll just say person, leave it at that. But, you know, you work with the Bills under him. Then you went on to be, um, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, um, the youngest head strength coach in the NFL at the time um, with the Indianapolis Colts and had a very successful career for, you know, what, 10, 15 years um, working with the Colts. Um, And then when you left the Colts, um, you still worked with some of the NFL players, uh, NFL Players Association doing that. And uh, you kind of went on and and now um, you're doing more, really focused more on youth training. So you've had quite a career. So really what's interesting to me is in the 30 seconds, I summed it up, but it was taking you probably 30 minutes. You, you asked me to go back and talk about <laughs> So, John, let me, I, I, I do want to know this. So let me ask you this question. Um, what was, what was Rusty's biggest influence? What can you, is there one thing, I mean, cause I, I you know, I've known you for a while. I've, I've, I've gotten to know Rusty a little bit. What was, is there one thing that he instilled upon you that you've, obviously that, that first thing at Springfield had a tremendous impact. What, where was Rusty's impact? So Rusty, who's like a second, he's really like a second father to me. He gets tired of me talking about him, but I, I would be nowhere, 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 nowhere without Rusty professionally, personally taught me so much. This is a, this is one of the most selfless individuals you want to meet. Brilliant, bright, uh, will bust his ass for you now. And, and, and what I learned from him was details, man, like every Rusty ripped my ass one day for about 10 minutes, maybe longer. Um, I actually told this story at the, when I was presenting him with the, the Lifetime Achievement Award for Strength Coaches. I was a penny off on the budget when I was working for him. Turns out, years later, we both discovered it was a mishap by an Excel rounding problem. But I was off by a penny, a cent, a penny. And he I know what a penny is, John. Like nobody's business. Yeah, I know you do. I know you can squeeze one, <laughs> but, uh, one of the greatest human beings. Yeah. I mean, in every way. And, and the thing about a mentor is they're more happy for you. You know, we won a Super Bowl. He was with the bears. And when I was with the Colts, we played the bears and we, we won the Super Bowl against him. And he was a strength coach with the bears. You know, I felt bad on some level, not that bad, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure when you're wearing the ring, you're like, you're really all, all choked up. He was, <laughs> he was more ecstatic for me than, than, than it just, you know, and, and truly, and, and there's not a thing you can pinpoint for them for a great mentor that they've done for you. The English language doesn't have a word that I've come across yet. Um, 
the people that have these mentors in their lives who are so fortunate, so lucky, uh, can understand what I'm saying. That, that's really good. And like I said, I've got to know him, certainly got to know you really, really well. And obviously, um, you have a lot of those attributes. And I think one thing you said right there, John, in, in the profession, especially at the professional level you guys are in, you do have to be uh, selfless and you do have to put your, you do have to just think about what you can do to help these other guys out. And, you know, one thing at the end of the day that, you know, my limited engagement or interaction with professional athletes is the fact that at the end of the day, they're young and they're very young. I mean, I think people miss that young and a lot of them are immature and I'm not saying that in a bad way. Um, you know, they're sheltered, they go, they're, they're the top of their class all the way up and then they get thrown into the professional sports world. And you're dealing not only with, um, a 20, 21 year old high level athlete, rich beyond probably their wildest imaginations, but now you've got to not only get them ready for the NFL, you got to do more mentally, probably just as much as you do physically. Yeah, I think, yeah. I mean, look, a couple of things you said to start off in terms of selfless, I've learned this. I don't care what the thing is. I don't care if it's as a husband, father, mother, wife, business, whatever it is. The minute you start realizing to get off of yourself and show up to give and show up to improve, life actually becomes easier. And it's, it's easier to show, it's hard to show up that way. And then it's easier to show up that way. You know, we're, we're so caught up in how we look and I don't want to be an old curmudgeon around social media and all this stuff, but when you just show up to do the thing for a person, I don't care if it's volunteering at the local, whatever, like, you know, that's why everybody's so, you know, going crazy over the frontline healthcare workers right now. They're, they're not showing up for them, you know? Um, during this COVID stuff, they're showing up for others. That's why everybody's so just, whoa, like, yeah, that's what human beings are. But to the point of, um, the players, you think about this with a pro athlete, any pro athlete, whether it's minor league baseball, NFL, whatever it is, anybody that's getting paid G league basketball, doesn't matter that guy, when he was a kid or that gal, she was young. The first day they showed up on that court track field, ice, whatever it is, were the best at minimum in their county, they were the best. Even the worst guy that's getting paid, right? They were the best, which meant they were treated completely differently the day they stepped on that field, court track ice. Because, well, we get all excited about that. And, and one of those guys, if, if they asked somebody in their lives to brush their teeth, somebody would do it for them. And that's why you get a lot of things around. So if you, now it becomes their identity, right? I'm not, I'm not this human being called Lee. I'm the football player and I'm really good at it. Well, what happens when that gets taken away? Whether it's retirement, whether you're Derek Jeter, he ain't playing anymore, the best on the planet. It's always going to be, it's always going to end. Or whether you go down in a heap of rocks like I did in high school. It ends for everybody at some point. This is not to bring a negative spin. This is to understand what this cycle is. And as you mentioned, I've worked the life cycle of the athlete. I know what it looks like. Um, and when it becomes their identity, because those of us around them, because they can hit the freaking hanging curve better than the next 10 kids can, like you treated them differently. Don't. And I'm not saying have a telethon for them. And I'm not saying they're victims of society. I'm just saying they've come like that. They're now being paid. So what happens is when you come in as a coach or somebody around them, 
that's not a taker of them or just wants to jock sniff. And there's a really important word to me called accountability. And when you all of a sudden bring on accountability to their actions in a culture that responds to accountability, whether it's a culture of a San Antonio Spurs, a culture like we had in Indianapolis, any number of great cultures that exist in sports or any business that has great culture. And you bring accountability and we all agree on it and we can hold each other accountable, not as a shaming, not as a but hold each other accountable to the greater vision, then all of a sudden it changes. It just does. Now it's way deeper and more levels than that, but that's a snapshot of what you got. Now, some of them don't like being held accountable because they never were, but I thought they called you coach, not friend, you know? Yeah. I mean, you know, the, some of the, you've been involved, like, I mean, obviously with the Colts, you're involved in one of the best organizations for a number of years in the highest level of football. And again, applying that to even little league or whatever sport, isn't the organization, isn't it the, the coach to set the overall tone? And with you, you know, I read the book uh, or his book, I mean, but you've mentioned it numerous times and you were fortunate to be around maybe one of the greatest mentors, but they, he set the tone and that's Tony Dungy for when you were at the Colts early on, right? Yeah. So from, you know, just to step back, I go from Hall of Fame coach Marv Levy to Hall of Fame general manager Bill Polian. Jim Mora was my first head coach in Indianapolis, who's a former Marine. You talk about accountability <laughs> to Coach Dungy who I call the Dalai Lama, to Jim Caldwell, same type of his own man for certain, but same type of of, of, of wonderful things. And Coach Dungy and Bill and the culture to set, of course, Peyton and all these guys, um, you've got to have everything come together. You know, that's why I'm so bothered by the, and I know it's talk show fodder and it's wonderful, but in these team sports where we want to just anoint the individual did this or did that, whether it's the quarterback or is LeBron and Jordan and he had with all this thing, the last dance show going on, Jordan and Pippen, everybody wants to talk about the, like these games are still team games. Like you still need a team. You do, I, you just do. You just, of course you're going to do better if you have Michael Jordan, of course. Right. But let's, let's, you know, the talk show fodder is what it is. Um, I mean, Pey- Peyton kind of helped you out a little bit. Yeah, like we said, you know, we just, you know, I wasn't so smart. I just, I just, you know, many of us who are willing to be honest about it will tell you that we grabbed onto his coattails and rode that son of a bitch for 14 years, you know, until we got kicked off the horse. Um, you know, it helps. It certainly helps. But yeah, but, but it, I mean, in, in all seriousness, though, John, I think you're tapping into something that I think can resonate whether it is a, a professional team or even, you know, one of these U12 teams and all this other stuff going on is you got to set the overall tone of the organization, whether it's a 10-person U12 team or whether it is a professional organization. And that's what you are a part of. And it takes everybody, do, everybody kind of turning it and, carry, and, and carrying the ball the same direction. Totally, you do. And at the same time, they ha- you know, it's not a stifling of personalities. Coach Dungy wanted you to use on personality. If you look at... Um, if you look at Pete Carroll and the Seahawks, you know, it's very important to coach Carroll that the guys are themselves, but see, there's a gentleman who I've had the great, great fortune to know since about 2002, coach Dungey used to bring him in to work with us as uh, as players and coaches named Joe Ehrman. Um, Joe, uh, runs a program called the inside out initiative. Joe is one of the most powerful, amazing human beings I've ever met. Changed the way I think about coaching in a lot of ways and, and, and so many other things. Um, former 
pro ball player. His book called Inside Out Coaching needs to be mandatory, non-negotiable reading, probably for every human being, but certainly for anybody that works with with kids, uh, whether it's kind of care for your coach, ATC, PT, doesn't matter. Should be man- anybody that works with human beings should be mandatory reading, certainly for coaches. But um, but Joe talks about the difference. He call- he has a you know pro sports and youth sports are different, right? Pro sports is shocker. Nothing to do with it, right? Nothing to do with youth sports. What we've done in this country is is that's that brought you on to tell us that John pro sports and youth sports are different. Yeah, this this is a hot take. That's what they call a hot take. Right? <laughs> just, I just it, want to make that clear. So everybody listening, just that's John's gets, insight for the day. We guess like a cool thing, like hot take right across the the deal. So the hot take is that pro sport, the, really the professionalization of youth sports is the problem, right? It's like a 17 to $19 billion industry. So we got these predators selling dreams rather than understanding um, the platform and the purpose of youth sports. And, and, and so there's a couple things that go on in the youth world. Number one, we have to understand that both in youth world and in life that the, the goal of in, you know, when you're playing a sport, a goal can be to win and that's fine and compete. And that's all wonderful stuff. You have a goal, right? If the goal of the sport is to win the game or compete or do these, do whatever these metrics are, that's wonderful, but it's not the purpose, right? So when I talk about this youth sports experience that that I'm very focused on, um, we talk about transforming the sports experience so that we may grow and develop virtuous leaders who are a force for good. That's the purpose that I'm trying to bring to youth sports and whatever platform and people I'm working with around it. That's not that's a that's a a long term purpose vision that'll outlive the planet. But the goal isn't that. So when we get caught up on the goal, this is what we're seeing on the sidelines of America in youth sports and and, and Canada and other places. But we have to understand that this beautiful platform of sports that we have just doesn't necessarily promote goodness. There's a wonderful sociologist named Jay Coakley who asked a very fundamental question. Uh, and he says, you know, we assume that sports are good. And the question is, are sports inherently good? And the answer is not if things aren't taught, right? So it's not the sport that supplies these ancillary benefits, because what if I go to a youth sport and we're abusing kids or shaming them or doing all these other negative things, then it, that's not a good benefit of that youth sport. But if we show up and we teach character, like as Joe Ehrman says, character is a skill. If it's a skill, it can be learned. If it can be learned, it can be taught. And if it can be, we need as adults to model it so that the kids can see what it looks like. It doesn't mean we're perfect. And it doesn't mean we're putting on a bullshit act of being perfect. We're all, we're all working at this thing. But this is the platform that we're talking about in youth sports. And it's our job to help these kids both physically and physically, you know, we're doing things of course around movement. We're doing things of course around the mental and emotional side, because that's the sport, the platform. That's what sports is. It's it's an unbelievably awesome platform to do these things, or it can be a horrendously horrible platform. You know, I can go on the same day to a psychiatrist and talk about one youth coach I've had in the same day, have the greatest memories about another situation. 
it's our job as adults to bring these kids along and stop getting caught up in the nonsense of the almighty scholarship, which most is BS, or the way, way, way out there if you're going to even play a pro sport. And I'm not a dream killer. Well, you but, have to be. Well, you got to be realistic too. I mean, I think, I think what you're talking about, John, is right now. You know what you and I both are seeing. Um, you know, we both have have kids, and you know, I look at my son. My son's a great example of the problem I see. I personally see in baseball is, you know, he decided one winter he didn't want to do baseball winter conditioning and you know do off season conditioning baseball. He wanted to go do something else. And basically the, the local guy was like, well, if he doesn't play, a, if he doesn't do this, this winter, he's probably going to be so far behind when the spring comes, he may not be to be on this travel team. Well, if, if that's the case right now, and that's a normal situation where if these kids aren't willing to play year round, they're going to get left behind. Even at my son's age at the time, eight, nine years old, thinking about, well, we got to get him prepared for div- a division one scholarship. That's, I mean, what you're talking about is so foreign to a lot of people out there. It's, it's in crazy right now. It is. So the sports specialization, as we know, not only doesn't guarantee anything or certainly the division one scholarship. Um, we also know the injury rates around sports specialization. If you want to go take polls around what college coaches are looking for, as well as what other, um, athletes that have gone to high, high levels in sport, um, many of them will tell you they were multi-sport athletes. This is probably, and I don't know the situation, but it's probably coming from somebody who's running a for-profit company and one sport and, and it's happening everywhere. And here's the tough part. And, and I'm talking to parents now because you don't know you're listening to these coaches who you hold in regard and trust. And, you know, you're putting your children out there with them. You must, you must at least trust them. <laughs> um, Therefore, if they're telling you something, you're likely to listen. Don't be scared of this fall behind, missing out, um, any of this other nonsense. It's absolutely untrue. It's not only untrue in research, it's untrue in reality as well in, in, in the real sport world. And the you know, 70% of kids are quitting youth sports by the age of 13. There's unbelievable uh, – papers and research done by an amazing uh, professor at George Washington University named Amanda Visick. And she actually discovered what this was. You know, you're sounding fairly smart right now. I just need to keep you rolling. I had that written down. I couldn't wait to say it. Um, You know, he interjected at the word. This Amanda is just an absolutely great, great person. So Amanda, her research is amazing. And so she actually found out what fun actually means. And she found out what fun means because she actually asked the kids. Imagine that. And so 70% of kids are quitting youth sports by the age of 13. The number one reason cited it's not fun. The reason they play is because it's fun. The reason they quit is because it's not fun. Now, fun is a horrible word because we can line up all of us and talk about fun. And some people think fun is unicorns and cupcakes and, and participation trophies. And that's not the case. And some people think fun is playing grab ass or, you know, whatever fun is. Well, what Amanda's done is actually defined it. There's 80, there's actually 81 determinants of fun in 11 categories. So if you really want to know how to keep kids engaged in youth sports for the lifetime of enjoyment and understanding what that is, um, for their health or fitness record, like I don't see too many 40 year old lacrosse games breaking out where I live, you know, like we got a bunch of people on freaking treadmills and CrossFits. We don't even know what the hell to do anymore, but nobody knows what to do. 
But if you want to take a look at this paper by a man, V-I-S-E-K, by a man of Visek, you will learn what fun means. And it's not what you think it is. It's not the swag. And they want to be coached and they want to be around competing and all those things. So um, that's what it is. But please don't let – and I know the pressure it is to for a coach to tell an eight or nine year old you're gonna fall behind a parent that's a parent's worst nightmare we're more scared of a kid falling behind a baseball than we are in math for god's sake <laughs> that's a great point you know um like hey it's behind the math who gives a shit oh don't fall behind better better be hitting 300 you know so don't let them tell you that like really please please do not let them tell you that it's just simply false. And we can talk about chronological age and biological age and all these other things. You know, I'm really concerned right now about the haves and have nots in sports. You know, I live in an area that's, that's got, uh, there's quite a few people with, with quite a bit of disposable income. And I do see these kids accelerating because they're freaking, they got 10 trainers and travel, all this nonsense. And when I ask them, do they like it? You know, they can't even answer me. And one thing I would encourage people to ask parents, or if you're a parent and you think, and probably people listening to this are more dialed into it like you and I than the other way, but out there in your communities, you're, as you're being embarrassed by the, what's being hauled out of the stands verbally, um, you know, I've had people tell me that are dragging their kids around eight days a week with trainers and hitting coaches and pitching coaches and basketball lessons and leagues and traveling from six states over to play a bunch of kids that look like the kids that they just left the sixth state behind. Like how many kids are you, how many kids are you passing between New Jersey and Ohio to play on a weekend? Like, so well, you're, getting I, a little, you're saying a little angry here, John. So what, I mean, what, well, what do you think? And, yeah. I mean, what, what can we do? So here's what I would encourage you to do. First of all, ask your child, ask your child, because you assume, many assume, that they say, because I hear this all the time, no, my kid loves it, he loves it. My question, I want you to sit down with them when it's quiet, not after the game, quiet, especially now, over dinner, we're actually all having family dinners, hopefully, maybe, maybe some, you know, you're eating dinner a little more as families or whatever's happening. Ask your child, do you love, do you love what you're doing? Do you love it? Because be careful, when you tell me often that they love it, very often it, you got to think one step deeper, which is, do they love that you love it or do they love it? They're your kid. They're going to love that you love it. Or they may go, I hate when you show up, but I love the sport. Like, be ready. Be ready. Um, so enjoy it. Stop thinking about Derek Jeter or the scholarship. Of course, what, what a wonderful thing if you get a scholarship. Terrific. At the expense of a relationship with your child? I don't know. I mean, so yeah, it's about that communication. So we've yeah. been going for a while, so maybe we'll take a little break. There's nothing left up there. All right, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll go a little bit deeper. Performance is a goal for many clients and is the foundation for all skill-based sports and activities. The fundamental capacity screen is a straightforward, efficient, and repeatable method to measure four essential movement capacities. Motor control, postural control, explosive control, and input control are simply restated as the developmental movements of climbing, carrying, running, and jumping. Once movement competency is established with the functional movement screen, the FCS is the stepping stone between the functional movement patterns and skill-based coaching. The FCS demonstrates ways in which the four fundamental capacities affect sport and physical activity and provides a baseline measure enabling professionals to know where to focus training to reach higher goals. Get started today 
and find a course near you. John, we're back. And I got something that I think is, is pretty interesting to take in, in your perspective. Uh, it would be great. You talk about from your where you are now, talking about youth sports and, and really being at the pinnacle of dealing with the top athletes in the world, really, um, in professional sports. I mean, when you talk about the life cycle of a of an athlete when they leave college and they're again they're the you know top guy on the team and they come into pro pro athletics, you get them at the combine and you see them at the combine, and you draft them. What are some of the, in your perspective, some of those characteristics that you have seen? And I, I almost will take the Peyton Mannings out of the equation. I mean, they're they're one in uh, ever how many million athletes, right? They're out of the equation. It takes a lot of other people to make it make it work. What are some of those characteristics you see, or can you see the guys when you see them? Like, all right, that guy's gonna be around a while. Yeah, you know what's funny though on Peyton, right? I don't know if and if. Anybody's listening, you have watched some of the Peyton's places. It's been on TV now and different things. But when Peyton was coming out, right, and everybody thinks it was just this home run, right? I'm telling you, because I got to Indy in February of 98. We drafted Peyton that that year. Well, there was Ryan Leaf and Peyton Manning, Ryan Leaf from Washington State. We obviously drafted Peyton with the first pick. Chargers took Ryan Leaf with the second pick. Many, many folks will tell you that they preferred, I won't tell you this, but there were many that preferred Ryan Leaf due to his so-called upside or potential. We don't know how great Ryan Leaf is going to be. There's so much upside. You hear it every year, right? And the detractors of Peyton or the ones that, you know, you got to make a decision, right? Well, and, and Peyton was talking about this. Okay, this is 98. What is that, 22 years ago? Like it's still, he was talking about it the other day. Uh, on one of the Peyton's places, uh, brought back memories. And he said, yeah, they said I had a ceiling. Like I pretty much couldn't get better. Like I was going to be what I was going to be. And, and I've heard, I heard those words from people. Right. And I'm not a scout. I don't know. You know, I'm just waiting to figure out who the hell we're going to pick. He's like, well, this guy's got a ceiling. We kind of know what he is. And so what they forgot to go like, like, how can you not get better? Right. Because, because somebody like Peyton, Reggie Wayne, Dallas Clark, I mean, the list goes on, Jeff Saturday, I mean, the list goes on and on from guys we've been around. And I, I used to ask this question almost on a daily basis, a question I still think about all the time, and I know probably a lot of people do, like, what makes, actually, when Peyton was on with Ray Lewis in one of the shows, they got into this a little bit, like, what makes these great ones great, right? Like, what makes it great? And it's funny because... There's this, and I'm not talking about when they were nine, I'm talking about later, because <laughs> I don't want to sound like we're talking out of both sides of our mouth here. But whether it's Peyton Manning or any of these guys, whether it's Richard Branson or Damon John on Shark Tank or whoever, this focus and purpose and goal and vision that they have for the future of what they can be has no end. And it's not like a stock. It's not day trading. The, the success is messy, right? And they know this. And some days are going to be shitty and some days are going to be great. And it's those that, you know, I used to talk a lot about Kobe Bryant and we still should. And he, he defines this, Peyton and many others define this. Those that don't bore of the process can do it. And that sounds like it's easy. Think about that. We get bored of just working out three days a week. Like 
when you don't bore of the process and you always are improving it and messing with it and you have this focus and some days are going to be better than others and what are tweaks and self-scouting and self-aware and take coaching and look at yourself and be real authentic about where you need to improve and what you need to do, that type of focus can do it. Because there's guys that we've had in our locker room who I used to joke, I said, we can go down the street and find some guys that are better athletes than many of the guys in the locker room just by athleticism, right? But there's this combination of things that these guys have that is part of it. And the guys that so-called make it, they're not in the NFL. They're trying to be football players. To the yeah, best that, that, yeah, John, that's right. I mean, so I guess that's what that's kind of what you're saying too. I mean, the Peyton Mannings, the Ray Lewis's, the Tiger Woods, all those guys, they've got just an extreme amount of that focus and don't get caught up in the the roller coaster ride. They're looking at how they can continue quote the quote unquote ride to get to the ultimate, you know, the best they can be. But what I hear you also saying is that even that lower end quote unquote, lower end being still top 1% of your profession, that professional athlete, the supporting cast, so to speak, they still have that focus, right? So hundred percent. So that's, what's really interesting is those guys, we had a lot of guys that were walk-ons in college, but they were captains of the team, right? Different things. So those guys, what they've learned to do is what, and I'm by, by no means comparing myself, what I thought about in high school, which was, all right, I'm really limited. That's a fact. We know. So, mentally, physically, everywhere. <laughs> Where do we stop? Looks. You're only lim- we're not limited in what we can find you limited in. <laughs> the, the limits are limitless. <laughs> um, so what can we do? It's those guys that can take advantage of the resources around them, right, to be great. So the guy that goes and tugs on Peyton to go catch more balls. The guy that goes, spends a little more time with the trainers, the guy that spends a little more time watching film, taking, okay, what is available to me that can just tweak the dial one more time and tweak the dial one more time? Because there's very few, once you get like, Edwin James used to say his first round pick, he's going to the Hall of Fame. This league will humble you. This is one of the greatest running backs of all time. You will sit there and tell you this league will humble you, meaning it equalizes everybody for the most part. It's a great equalizer. So what does that mean? What are the things I can do? Because here's the opposite. I can tell you who won't be in the league real quickly. It's really hard to not watch film, to live, let's just call it a negative lifestyle and make it. You got to be that much better if you're gonna, in these days. This isn't the 70s or 80s anymore. Um, it's really hard to do that. You look at what LeBron does with his body and physique and all that. But these other guys, as you mentioned, I know that's where you want to go. That, that kind of stuff, how do I turn a dial one more time? What can I do? What can I do better? It's not just more, 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 more. It's filter out. Okay. That guy can't help me. That's here's a little more film. Here's something more I can do. Um, and they don't bore of it either. Yeah, you're yeah. you're basically taking again. You're removing the negatives. You're removing the shit that's out there from your whatever's your lifestyle, your practice, your training, taking away the things you shouldn't really be focused on. 
and focusing on what the most important thing is. And again, for, for an athlete, for even an individual at home, you need to focus on what you need the most, not what you're necessarily good at. And, and, and at the professional level, it's even that much more precise, right? Yeah. And we look, none of us want to face what we need. We all want to not look at that, but you're dead on. And, and, and as we've always talked about for years and years, all of us, all of us about this removing the negative idea, it's, it's really a brilliant, brilliant thing. Like, you know, what can I strip away that's hindering me? Cause that's the anchor on your foot. You know, you want to smoke and train for a 5k, right? Like we got to put the cigarette out first and that sucks and it's hard. It's really really hard. And people say, oh, you got to sacrifice. Sacrifice is the words of my perception about what you're doing, not yours. You don't think it's a sacrifice. Wow. John, that was pretty impressive. You know, every squirrel gets a nut sometimes. But even, even somebody at Pey- Peyton Manny's level, let's, you know, again, the, the top, there's things that he is, he sees, you see at, when you were with him, as long as you're with him, that he's got to work on. And there's certain things that, you know what, you really don't need to work on that, but we got to work on this. Peyton will tell you this and, and his work ethic and his detail is, is, is second to none. And, uh, I think Jerry Rice was really similar to this as well, but Peyton will tell you this. And I know because he's told it to me. And so he says, look, I don't have the talent that Dan Marino has. I don't have the talent Brett Favre does. And it's not an insult to them. Like he goes, they are, these guys are like, they're better at this throwing thing than me. Like I'm not right. And whether it's true or not, I don't know. (laughs) Right. But what he said was like, I got to work at this thing. Like I really have to work at this thing. And so that among many reasons he worked is one of them, not because he was trying to be Dan Marino or be a Brett Favre or anybody else, but because that's how he viewed it. Like everything I can do is going to help me throw this ball, make this play, watch more film. And I'm, and the biggest thing for him was I am never going to walk off a field where I felt that I didn't do as good as I can win or lose because I wasn't prepared. That is not even negotiable. I may screw up physically. I may, but I'm not, it isn't going to be because I didn't prepare. Well, the takeaway right there, John, to me is the self-awareness. Somebody having the, the, the awareness of what they need to focus on. I think that's where so many people, whether, I mean, you could take that, you could take that principle to business, to youth sports, is you've got to become aware of what, what you need to work on versus just always thinking, well, I don't need to work on it because I'm just that good doesn't matter. You got to continue to be aware. This is the area, you know, for me personally, what, what do I need to continue continually working on and, and identifying that initially is the, the, you know, the first step. So let me share this little coaching model with you. Um, uh, spot on to, to how we're thinking. So we call this the triple a model, which has nothing to do with baseball. So, in order to go do something, right? The first A, AAA model, it's awareness, action, accountability. Awareness, two parts. Awareness of the thing. I'm like, I got to go get knowledge or skills or abilities. Education, doing a screen, learning about that, whatever this awareness is. The second part of awareness is how does that affect me? Like, I know what a screen is. I know what mobility and motor control is. 
what is mine and how does that affect me? Now that's self-awareness. I've got the awareness of why it even matters, what it is. Now I got self-awareness. The next part is who cares? You just got knowledge and self-aware. What are you going to do with it? Are you going to sit, you're going to sit on uh, Instagram and talk about it. Are you going to go do something. So now let's action it, right? What's the action around it? Okay. I got to do this, 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 and this action it out. The final piece is accountability, accountability to yourself around the action, accountability to somebody else or a thing or an object. Accountability can be a simple checking it off a list. Okay. I did that today and you're accountable. And then that's a nice, a nice system. And as you guys often talk about a feedback loop, that's what this is, right? And we round and round we go, right? Awareness, action, accountability. Awareness. And if it worked, great. If it didn't, let's look at it. What do I need to know? And, and we go. And it's a simple, beautiful coaching model that we've been working on to get people through because it's not just awareness. I can't just action and run around like a maniac. You know, as John Wooden said, don't mistake activity for achievement. So we have to know what we're doing. And then whether you look at Alcoholics Anonymous or any other thing that has proven to work, accountability is a key factor. That's awesome. And again, you could apply that like you just alluded to. You could apply that to anything. Um, so that, that's awesome. And John, listen, man, I, I think that's a great place to stop. I mean, because that it gives people definitely some takeaway um, of what they can apply in a lot of different levels. So thanks a lot, man. It's been a great, great uh, little time with you. And I, and I won't say great again, just because I don't want to give you too many, too many props, but uh, enjoy talking with you. I appreciate you coming on. I've mildly enjoyed talking with you uh, as well. <laughs> thanks, man. That'll do it for this episode of the Movement Podcast. Thanks for listening. And if you liked what you heard, please subscribe and share it with your friends and family. If you want to learn more about our system and take the next step in your movement journey, visit us at functionalmovement.com. Until next time, be sure to move well, move often.